Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Leah M., and I am your moderator this morning. Today is Sunday, January 28, 2018. The share IDs for Friday, January 26, are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 10969. That's 10,969. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 10971. That's 10,971. This morning, A Vision for You presents Grasping onto New Soil. The big book was written as a set of directions for doing the 12 steps. The promise of the 12-step process is a spiritual awakening, a psychic change, a personality change sufficient to overcome compulsive overeating and bring about recovery. The 12 steps are a specific method for producing this personal and vital transformation. We submit to a process. We do lots of work. This demonstrates our willingness to have our willfulness set aside. But it is the grace of our higher power that does the change, the transformation. We become spiritually rooted to a strength and power that we know did not exist in us when we were trying to deal with our problems on our own. We become firmly planted Our roots are able to hold fast and steady, despite the high winds of the forces which would destroy us or which we would use to destroy ourselves. With us today is Terry H., a recovered compulsive overeater from North Carolina. Terry is devoted to our 12-step way of life, and she is here to share her experience, strength, and hope with all of us this morning Welcome to you, Terry. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. My name is Terry H. I am a recovered compulsive reader, bulimic, and anorexic from Hillsboro, North Carolina. I'm very grateful for this opportunity to do service, sharing my experience, strength, and hope, um, where I've been, what happened, and where I am today. Um, grasping onto new soil. You know, this comes from the big book on, on the top of page 12. Uh, It starts at the bottom of page 11 and goes over to page 12. Bill uses this when describing how Ebby had changed. Um, This is what I had to do in my recovery process. You know, I'm on um, different footing today. I have gone through uh, a transformation um, and and walking a, a different path in my journey today than when I was when I was in my disease. I've been abstinent for about 15 months and recovered for about a year and some change. Um, So I just want to get into it in my experience. Um, I grew up on the Gulf Coast of Mississippi, close to New Orleans, in a working-class Catholic family. I'm one of six children, five in the birth order. Uh, Throughout my younger years and teenage years and and young adulthood, I had many adverse childhood experiences that impacted um, how I lived and dealt with life. Food was a huge part of my culture growing up. 
You know, we ate New Orleans-style cuisine, lots of Gulf Coast seafood, barbecue, and good old home cooking, Mississippi home cooking. Um, I don't ever remember salads being part of any meal. Um, with a big extended family, there was always something going on and always plenty of food. My earliest overeating memory, um, I was a young child, big family. Um, I used to like to get up early in the mornings and watch television. We had one of those big television consoles in the living room. And um, the only time I could have it to myself was early in the mornings. Um, so I like to get up early before everyone else. And cereal and milk was the staple for breakfast in the mornings for me. That morning we were out, so I took a big serving spoon, licked it, and stuck it into the big bag of sugar and ate it until I got sick while I was watching The Lone Ranger and Roy Rogers and those shows in the morning. And, you know, that was my omen right there. I ate and ate and ate until I got sick and couldn't eat anymore. And that just stuck out to me because I remember I, I couldn't go outside and play because I was so sick. In my family, I was always the biggest in size. And um, I'm the only one with red hair in my entire extended family. So you can imagine the teasing that went on. I was good at sports and school came easy. School, sports, and food helped me survive my years living at my father's home. School was a safe place. Sports, I was, I was really good in sports and food was what I used to cope with life. I would eat as much as I could and then take off the weight playing sports. I played sports all year long and I would restrict during those times I was playing sports. I had no idea about serving sizes or portions or food groups or health or anything. I just ate. And then when it came time to, you know, work out and play sports, I was able to take the, food, the weight off. So I was a pretty normal size um, uh, person growing up in my younger years and early uh, my teenage years um, throughout that time. However, I always felt very obese inside. I always felt much larger than I was. You know, anytime uh, there was um, celebrations in my family, it was always around food. I was always eating, um, and I would eat until I couldn't eat anymore, until it was either gone or I, I was, just felt miserable. And um, anytime I was going through some adverse, you know, childhood experiences, you know, I would sneak food, I would eat, I would hide. Um, and, and that became my, that was my life. That's how I survived. That's how I coped. I know today that because of my uh, childhood experiences, I learned to do things and behave in certain ways to survive. I ran away. I isolated. I hid. I lied. I stole and cheated. Uh, never, you know, to hurt anyone. It was just how I survived. I lived in fear and shame. Um, I did not want to be seen um, because when I was seen, I was hurt. Um, anytime someone would get close to me, I would push them away and run away. I had no idea how to be comfortable in my own skin and how to be in relationship with others. Sports, food, and food behaviors 
helped me deal with life on life's terms until it did not. Since I left my father's home at age 17, I have never lived in the same place for more than two years. When I eventually graduated from college with two undergrad degrees, there was a period of, of about a year I waffled around trying to figure out my next step in life. My compulsive eating continued, that cycle continued, binging um, and playing sports to get it off. And, you know, that time that I was waffling around from graduate school to real life, you know, jumping into the workforce of real life, I gained about 50 pounds because I wasn't playing organized sports anymore. Um, and I, I just had take, taken some time off. And I, you know, I, I, eating helped me cope. Um, I had no idea what my next step was going to be. Um, and also in that period of time, I was searching for my significance in life and seeking spiritual matters. So I ended up uh, going overseas to Hong Kong in my early 20s as a missionary, um, as a short-term missionary. Um, at that time, you know, I probably was about 210 pounds. I was 5'6", and I remember when I was getting ready to leave, people told me to pack a lot of clothes because I wouldn't be able to buy my size in Hong Kong when I was there. Um, and they were right, it was challenging. After about a year in Hong Kong, I was miserable in my position. It just wasn't, you know, for me. I was compulsively eating and drinking a lot at that time as well, and I continued to put on weight. The hard drinking and partying was, uh, I was doing at that time was frowned upon by the mission. Um, I was given a directive to go to counseling and AA or I was going to be sent home. And so I did. I didn't want to be sent home. And um, so that was my first exposure to a 12-step meeting. I went to an AA meeting in Hong Kong. The minute I put down the alcohol, I picked up purging. Um, it was easy for me to put down alcohol because I wasn't, I was a hard drinker at that time. I, and I, I was partying, I was young in my 20s, but I, I'm not an alcoholic, I wasn't an alcoholic. And so I was able to, to get abstinent from alcohol. So I went to um, AA meetings um, and listened, put down, got abstinence from alcohol, and immediately picked up purging. Um, I, I can't even, there was really no space between the two. Um, at that time, I was about 225 pounds, and um, for about 15 months, my life consisted of going to AA meetings. I, I changed jobs. I resigned from the mission. I got a job teaching at an international school, because that was my background. That was my uh, college degrees. I stopped going to counseling. I went to counseling for a little bit. It, I wasn't talking, so it wasn't working, so I stopped going to counseling. I moved again. Um, I cut ties with people, pushed people away, cut ties, and I was going to try to start over again. So many times this was my pattern in life. And so I, I started working out again. And about a, over a year's time, I worked, I went to AA meetings, I binged, I purged, I restricted, 
I started working out, and I started playing sports again. And in that year's time, I went from 225 pounds to 130 pounds in a very unhealthy manner. Um, I knew that first time I purged that that was going to be the way I was going to maintain my weight when I wasn't working out and when I wasn't playing sports. Purging and restricting for me at that time in my life for the next 20-something years was like, you know, it was like heroin for a drug addict. The first time I was hooked, um, and it, I just, you know, kept at it. It didn't matter the physical consequences. You know, I knew then I could eat whenever I wanted, whenever I wanted, wherever I wanted, and instantaneously get rid of it so I could eat more. And so once I took the weight off in that unhealthy manner, my disease, you know, I, I, it remain, I remained in that pattern for the next 22 years. Um, today I'm 51 years old. While I was in Hong Kong, you know, I met a fellow, I got married and moved to Massachusetts. Um, I stayed in Hong Kong for about five years working and, um, so in 1997, I moved to Massachusetts. In Massachusetts, I had a difficult time getting a job. And working has always been the success in my life. Even though I moved around a lot, I was never really comfortable in my skin. I never really maintained relationships. But working was always um, what gave me my self-worth. And so when I was in Hong Kong, and I mean, when I moved to Massachusetts, I wasn't able to get a job teaching. It was very saturated in my field in that area, around the Boston area. And so I kind of, I spiraled into a depression and pretty much quit eating. Um, my doctor, my primary care physician at that time, involuntarily committed me to um, an eating disorder hospital, mental health eating disorder hospital, Waltham Deaconess Hospital in Massachusetts. Um, at that time, I probably weighed about 90 pounds soaking wet. I stopped eating. I was work still working out a lot, um, being active, and, you know, and I, I just kept losing weight. You know, I didn't want to eat. No one was going to make me eat. I thought I was in control, you know, and I, I really wanted to die at that time, and that's how I was going to do it. In you know, the hospital personnel, the doctor wanted to put a feeding tube in me, down my, up my nose, down my throat, and into my stomach. You know, I was so uncomfortable, you know, um, because I wasn't eating orally. Um, I could feel the drip in my stomach and the machine clicking. And I felt so uncomfortable. And I kept pulling it out. And they would get irritated because the only person I could put it back in was the doctor. So they had to call the doctor. And so the, after multiple times of pulling it out, the doctor told me, if I didn't stop pulling it out, they were going to get a court order, strap me down to a bed, and feed me until I was to a healthy weight, strapped down to a bed. I didn't believe them. And they were able to do it. Um, they got, the doctor got the court order, 
They strapped me down to a bed, put the feeding tube in me, and for about two and a half days, I was strapped down to that bed until, you know, I gave in and cried monkey and, uh, and, to- and promised that I wouldn't pull it out anymore. I had that feeding tube for about a month or a little more than a month. I was in the hospital for a period of, a long period of time. And uh, I had to learn to re-eat again. And so I had to go through this whole refeeding process. And for that, for about a year, um, I was in, in, in and out of the hospital going through this process. Until I finally figured out, you know, that I, I could maintain a certain amount of weight to keep me out of the hospital. The hospitals were good for to get my body back together physically. But for, I still had that mental obsession. And um, I never really worked on that. So I went, got my body well, got out of the hospital, learned what to do to stay out of the hospital. I was still binging the minute I got out, still purging and still restricting. But I kept my weight up to, to you know, at least one, 110, 115 to keep me from having to go, out, go back into the hospital. Um, no matter what the doctors told me about my health, I couldn't stop. Um, my body would heal, but the mental obsession was always there to beat me down. Anytime difficulties came up, food and food behaviors is what I used. It was my solution to cope and deal with life. So then I got to where, you know, maybe if I dealt with my mental health, my uh, adverse childhood experiences and adverse experiences in life, it would help my eating disorder. So then I went through a period of time um, moving around. Um, I did have a son. After several miscarriages, my son Zachary was born in 1999. And several years after that, um, my husband, his father, and I separated. Um, I just could not maintain relationships. I didn't know how to be in relationship with another person. And so I moved around. I thought, you know, therapy would help with relationships with my eating disorder. Um, I spent the next 10 years in various modes of mental health therapy, moving around. Um, after eight years in Massachusetts, I moved to Florida, thinking a new start, a new state, a new start <laughs> in Florida. Um, all my family moved, my, my son's father, my son and my son's father moved to Florida. Moved around in Florida for eight years, different relationships. Um, not able to cope, worked, always worked, work kept me going, just not able to maintain relationships, continued with therapy, and my eating disorder just continued. You know, I knew where to go to purge. I knew what I could eat to purge quickly. I knew what I could eat, um, I knew what I couldn't eat to purge. Um, my life evolved around the um, single stall bathrooms around Massachusetts, around Florida, and around eventually when I moved to North Carolina in 2012. Um, my weight, it would go, I would go up a little bit, 
I, I, and then it, I would come down. You know, when people saw me, you know, you would think I was, you know, a normal-sized person. Um, <clears throat> and so, you know, just a constant, constant craziness, constant craziness in my life. Um, in 2013, our trusted recovered alcoholic uh, mentor suggested I look into Overeaters Anonymous. I was living in North Carolina at that time. I had no idea. I'd never heard of this program before. Um, so I decided to look it up. And um, I looked up meetings online and attended, you know, face-to-face meetings in, in the Triangle area in, in Chapel Hill, Hillsboro, Carborough, in those areas. And I went to meetings, um, almost every meeting I possibly go to for several months. But I just could not stop purging. I just couldn't stop purging for any length of time. Um, and in those meetings, you know, I would hear the OA preamble. I heard the 12 steps. It brought back my memories of my AA meetings in Hong, in Hong Kong. I heard the 12 traditions. Um, there were all different kinds of meetings. I heard a lot about the problem. I heard a lot about my problem. Um, and I heard a lot about other people's problems in those meetings. Um, I'd go into the meeting when it start. I'd sit down. I would not make eye contact with anyone. And then I was out of the door. But I, I kept going. You know, I kept going to those meetings. Then eventually, you know, uh, um, my trusted friend told me that maybe I needed to go into inpatient treatment. But I wasn't going back to the hospital. I knew that. But I needed to figure out how to break, how to get abstinent. I could get abstinent for a little bit, and then I would be right back in to my binging, purging, and restricting pattern. And so I decided that, you know, I would go back, go into inpatient treatment. Uh, eating disorder treatment. And so after a couple of months of going to the OA meetings, I left the area, left my family, went on to the other side of the state of North Carolina and went into a, an eating disorder inpatient treatment program for several months. Um, I did learn some things. I learned about foods. I learned about food portions. I learned about food groups. And I even learned how to cook because I, I don't cook. <laughs> and uh, but when I was discharged, I, I I I was right back into my disease again because I had no coping skills to deal with life, and food and food behaviors were the only skills I had. And you know, well, let me let me stop there because there was a a, a part that at that time when I left that program. I decided that it would be good for me to be abstinent. You know, I did get abstinent for a period of time. I moved to a mountain. I moved to a cabin on top of a mountain, me and my dog, Duke. And I separated from my family for about 15 months. When I got out of that treatment program, I stayed abstinent for about 15 months, following a food program, pretty healthy food program. And, um, but... You know, it was hard. I wasn't working a program. I went to OA meetings in that area. I didn't have a sponsor. And um, I was just working 
living in that cabin isolated on the mountain with my dog and going to OA meetings. And I did that for about 15 months. And then eventually, you know, I, I had to get back to my family. I had to get back to my son. And so about after about 15 months, it was time to move again. And uh, so I moved back to Hillsboro, North Carolina, uh, trying to uh, reestablish relationships, integrate. I was feeling pretty good. I had been abstinent those 15 months, thought I had it, thought I had the knowledge, thought I had the self-control, thought I had the self-sufficiency, um, got a job. But as soon as, you know, adverse situations, adverse experience came up, I was right back in my disease again because it is what I knew how to cope. It is what I knew how to survive, no matter what the doctors told me. <clears throat> my body was beat down, my throat, my, you know, my esophagus, my teeth, um, you know, they were, I had all those warnings, and I still did, you know, binge, purge, and restricted. So things started to break up, you know, fall apart again. Um, I didn't know how to do, I didn't know how to deal with life on life's terms and things started to fall apart again. My trusted friend grasped my cheeks, put her hands on my face, grasped my cheeks, pulled me close and told me I needed to get into the meetings, I needed to get a sponsor, I needed to work the steps or I was going to die. So I, I, I believe I heard that. I, I didn't want to die at this point in my life. I did previously multiple times. But I didn't want to die. I just wanted to, wanted this eating disorder to go away. So in October of 2016, I called a recovered person in my face-to-face meetings in Hillsborough and asked if she would sponsor me. You know, I was so nervous. I was, you know, I was following a food, following an abstinent food plan, and I had a couple days, several days of abstinence. I hadn't purged, I hadn't binged, and I was following that plan. You know, I made that phone call, and my and my sponsor explained to me what we were going to do. I had no idea what path, what journey we were going to do, we, we were going to take. And she had asked me to commit to being rigorously honest in all areas, and to do the work. And she asked me to do. And so at that point, I, you know, I, I, and then she told me to think about it and call her back at this time on this day. And so I was like, okay. So I did. I, th- I thought about it. You know, I was done. I had tried everything. I was tired of lying. I was tired of living in fear and shame. I was tired of being sneaky. I was tired of isolating and stealing you know, I was just done. I was done. I was out of ideas. If there was an easier, softer way, I was going to try it. But at that point, I was out of ideas, and I was, I was willing. I knew I needed to be honest. I needed to be honest with myself, and I needed to be honest with someone else. And so I called her back at the day, on the day and the time that she asked me to. And, I, you know, I, I committed to being rigorous, honest, and I committed to doing the work. My disease had defeated me. I was, I was hopeless. I had lost my family again, you know, um, and I wanted to do whatever I needed to do to try to regain, you know, 
just get rid of this eating disorder. So my sponsor, you know, took me through the big book from the title page to page 103, the end of 103. Um, every morning for 30 minutes, my sponsor, I called my sponsor up and we um, went through the big book. You know, I, I center my foods. I committed to a food plan. I committed uh, to weighing and measuring my foods. Uh, because my disease, um, I'm a binge eater. I'm a bulimic and I'm an anorexic. So there are times I don't want to eat and I want to restrict. And I have to com- and I committed to following my food plan and eating, eating the meals and the items on my food plan. Um, I knew from the very beginning, you know, I, I just had to be honest um, and, and show up, and that's what I did. My willingness to get up and show up each day was, you know, the foundation of my program. This was the beginning. This was the start. You know, my sponsor showed me the title page, and I saw the word recovered. I was hearing it in my face-to-face meetings. And my sponsor also introduced me to A Vision for You and gave me special editions to listen to. You know, showed me how to call in to the line and listen to the the meetings. He showed me how to listen to the recorded meetings. Showed me how to press star one. Showed me how to press star four to go back, star six, um, to go forward. And I was just very grateful for that. and just, you know, that title page where it says, you know, the word recovered, you know, gave me hope. You know, that this book had a plan. My sponsor shared with me that this book had a plan in which people followed and recovered. And so I wanted to know more. So I kept showing up. I kept dialing in. Got to the preface and the forwards, and it taught me, you know, how the program grew. And then the forward, the second edition forward. Uh, uh, gave me a glimpse of what I needed to do and what we were going to do. Um, And it just kept showing up. I wanted to know more. Um, I wasn't sure if it was going to work, but I I kept showing up because I wanted to know more. We got to the doctor's opinion, and I learned that, you know, this was the explanation of the physical aspect of my disease. I learned that I had an allergy to certain foods, an allergy of the body. And, you know, when I put those foods into my body, my body did not react normal to those foods. I had an abnormal reaction. And um, that, was, that kind of blew my mind, you know. But it kind of connected the dots because I went to certain foods um, to eat, to binge eat. And, you know, when I ate those foods, I ate them until I did, couldn't eat them anymore. And then I would purge so I could eat them more. So it started to make sense to me. I had some clarity, and, I, and things started to make sense to me. And, um, you know, I would eat boxes of cereal. I would eat gallons of, you know, half gallons of ice cream, gallons of ice cream, you know, circus peanuts. I would buy bags of them at the dollar store for a dollar and just eat, eat meat. And then I would purge it and then I would eat again. And so it, it just made sense to me. Um, I was able to identify the foods and in, in food ingredients that, uh, you know, became my binge foods, the foods that I, were aller- I was allergic to. Um, 
Then we, you know, and I understood, I also understood that I have a mental obsession. You know, my body, my mind goes to those foods and those food behaviors. That is my mental obsession. Once I got those foods out of my body, I didn't crave them. But my mind kept going, kept going, kept going. So I learned in doctor's opinion that I have a twofold disease. I have an allergy of the body and mental obsession, uh, a mental obsession of the mind. And so once I got rid of those foods, no more allergy, the work had to be on the mind. So my sponsor, you know, I continued to show up and call my sponsor, and we, did, we went through Bill's story, and she asked me to identify. How can I identify with an alcoholic? She asked me to look at the ways that I'm similar. You know, I, heard, I hear on the line, you know, when we go through Bill's story, and, I, and, and my sponsor shares me, you know, do I eat like Bill drank? Do I think like Bill thought? And do I feel like Bill felt? You know, I was an educated, I have multi, I'm educated, I have multiple degrees, just like Bill. I'm, I'm a leader in my, in my job. I have leadership skills in sports, in my job, you know, in my profession. I moved around looking a lot, looking to start over. I never lived at one place, always looking, moving, and shaking. You know, my eating disorder behaviors were similar to Bill's as well. You know, when things were bad, he went to the drink. When the stock market crashed, he went to the bar. When things were bad for me, I went to my food and my food behaviors to cope. You know, I was hospital multiple times, just like Bill, went to eating treatment programs. Um, I, I believed I had the self-knowledge, the self-sufficiency. You know, I could get abstinent like Bill for periods of time. But when things went bad, you know, Bill went to the drink and I went to the food and the food behaviors. So I could identify with Bill. You know, and then there was a solution. This is a chapter that I look forward to because I wanted to hear the solution. I wanted to know the answer. On page 25 in the big book, the great fact is just this and nothing less, that we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellows and toward God's universe. The central fact of our lives is the absolute certainty that our creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which indeed is miraculous. When I heard this, I held on to it. You know, the spiritual, deep and effective spiritual experiences. And then we moved on to more about alcoholism, the mental twist in the chapter. My sponsor asked me to see where I identified with these fellows, the businessman, Jim, the jaywalker, Fred, you know, I heard Jim's story over and over and over through my process as I was working with my sponsor. She brought me back to these stories multiple times to help me understand the mental twist of the disease and how I identified. All of these men were able to get abstinent by way or the other. They were able to put down the drink. The jaywalker went into the hospital and he was able to not jaywalk for a period of time as he was in the, in the hospital healing from his wounds. But each time, um, they did not have a mental defense against their disease. You know, they put milk in the whiskey thinking that would be okay. You know, having a drink after a successful business outing, 
you know, with dinner, thinking that would be okay. You know, that they were able to get abstinent, but they did not have an effective mental defense against their disease. And I was the same way, like me. I was able to get abstinent for periods of time, but when things came up or my disease worked on me through the mental obsession. My defense, you know, and on page 43, what I learned at the end of More About Alcoholism, that my defense must come from a higher power. Not me, not OA, not anyone else, not my trusted recovered friend, my mental defense. My defense must come from a higher power. So at that time, I knew at this time I was 100% in. I 100% identified in with everything I had gone through so far with my sponsor. You know, I was a compulsive overeater, bulimic, and anorexic. I knew this. And I was powerless over my disease. I had no mental defense. And then we moved on to we agnostics. And on page 44, it says, if I am a true compulsive overeater, then only a spiritual experience will conquer it. So I needed to know more about this spiritual experience. It says on page 47, do I now believe or am I even willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself? I did have a belief in a power greater than myself. You know, I had, um, but I had no connection to it. I didn't understand it. I didn't have a connection to it. I knew there was a belief. You know, my sponsor used to share, sometimes share that um, she was the worm in the mud. And, and that's, that was me as well. I was the worm deep in the mud. And anything above me was a power greater than myself. I was powerless, the worm in the mud. And so, you know, I wanted to know more about this. And so we kept, we kept journeying on. Every day I call up and we would go through the process. And, you know, in step three and how it works, we moved on to how it works and, and, and got to step three and, um, and the turning, my, you know, my, my will and my life over to the care of God um, as I understood him, you know. I knew at this point in my journey, in my process, that I alone could not do it. I tried so many different things. You know, I tried all those things on page 31 in the big book and then more. And I knew I couldn't do it. And so I was ready. I was ready to turn my will and my life over to God as I understood him, my higher power. And um, I, I, I said the prayer with my sponsor. And we continued on the journey. You know, I turned my life over. At this point, you know, my roots are grasping on to new soil. Instead of seeking Terry's way, I'm starting to seek God's direction in God's way because my way got me back into my disease. So I was willing and I was open to trying things differently at this point, God's way and seeking. So I spent more time exploring that in that journey and where that took me. And then it was time to begin the inventory, step four. I am so grateful my sponsor took me through the big book and, and took me through this process the big book way. You know, I'm, I'm very grateful, page 64, you know, 64 in the big book, all the way to page 
71. You know, I did my resentments exactly. I kept it my, the cause under 19 words. You know, I, I identify how it affected me and I identified my character defects. And I, and I did it, you know, row by row, resentments, fears, and sex behavior. And, you know, it, it wasn't that difficult to get it down. You know, I had done a lot of therapy, and I was ready, and it took me about five days, five to seven days. I don't remember exactly, but it didn't take me long to get get it all down and follow in this plan in the big book. And I was very grateful because I didn't want to spend a lot of time in the yuck. It was just a yuck. And so after I got it all down on the paper, it was ready to do step five. And this was one of the hardest pieces of my program <clears throat> to share with another person. God, it was easy to share it with God. I knew it. It was easy to share it with me. But to uh, share it with another person, all my life I did not want to be seen. I did not want you to see into me. It was scary and it was fearful. So this was the piece that I needed to let another person see into me. To, to see these character defects. Um, and so I spent, you know, a couple hours with my sponsor, <clears throat> with my sponsor, doing my step five, sharing my character defects. And um, that was one of the most freeing parts of my recovery. And that's when I began, that, that is the piece, when that was over, Taking that big deep breath, now is the piece that just kind of opened me up to the spiritual experience. It began. It started to happen for me. I was clearing the blocks between me and my higher power. I was practicing rigorous honesty and holding nothing back, you know, and allowed that person to see inside me, to see it my character defects and who I am. And we journeyed on. We journeyed on. And, you know, six, seven, um, you know, I was ready to have God remove them. Oh, heck yeah. As soon as my sponsor was able to get those words out of her mouth, I was ready. I was ready. I didn't want it anymore. I didn't want to hold it anymore. Um, and so, you know, I was ready. And step seven, you know, we, we did the prayers we did a lot of prayers through this process. There are a lot of prayers. And, you know, I was open, you know, that seven-step prayer and uh, my character defects and saying that with my sponsor. That was, a, that was a big, big piece. And then I got on with the, the work. All of this work, all of these actions is a must that we have to take. And the amends list I made, you know, I listed everybody I needed to make amends with. And I spent, you know, a couple of weeks doing those face-to-face -face amends, the people I could do face-to-face -face with, you know, writing letters, working with my sponsor through that process, and just journeying on. It wasn't easy. Some people didn't have, you know, some people were angry with me. And, uh, but I needed to do it. The hardest ones were with my family, you know, because those are the people... I'm in relationship with the most, but I did it. You know, I needed, I knew I needed to do it to clear the blocks. I, I needed my higher power. 
And I needed to do every step in order to be able to get to that place where I can make those amends because I needed to show up and I needed my higher power to help me get through that fear. And it, it was, I was very grateful for that. And then, you know, I journeyed on with my sponsor and we did step 10. And uh, I learned, you know, that every day I needed to take personal inventory of myself, page 84 and 85, and to continue to watch for those character defects. When they come up, I want to get rid of them. Because, you know, the, the thing I want to be is of maximum service. And if there are any blocks between me and my higher power, I cannot be of maximum service. I'm focused on those blocks and not focused on being of maximum service. You know, and so 10 steps are, are challenging for me because it's not the norm. It's a, it's a continuous pro, pro, process that I'm learning. You know, it, it's not the norm to pause throughout the day and reflect. It's not the norm to run and, and do, make my amends as quickly as possible. The norm for me was to hold it all in and, to, and then eventually to binge, purge, and restrict. That had been the norm for the last umpteen years, 20 or more years of my life, probably even more than that. So it takes practice, but, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm willing. I'm willing to do the action. You know, um, I'm cleaning up. I want to clean up all the wreckage, and I want to clean up my side of the street. And so, you know, when things come up, I, I do a 10-step, you know, and I try to, you know, if, it, if, I, if I'm carrying it on, I try to do my 10 steps as quickly as possible. And then my sponsor continued the journey with me. I kept showing up in step 11, prayer meditation. You know, I, I end my day with a reflection of my day in prayer meditation, asking God, you know, what happened and what I need to do better. And then in the mornings, I wake up asking God, what can I do? Seeking right thought and right action for the day in prayer meditation. And so, you know, my, my 11th step. Um, and then my sponsor took me through um, working with others. And, you know, and explained to me that this is part of the process. And this is, you know, part of the 12 steps. And how, you know, we continue to work in our recovery. And through that process, you know, I was nervous. I, you know, who am I? I'm just a little girl from Mississippi, you know, going through this process. What do I know? Um, but I do know what my sponsor uh, took me through in the big book. I do know how to read. <laughs> and I do have my experience, strength, and hope to share. But, you know, it's not so much about my childhood you know, experiences, my adverse childhood experiences, not so much about my experiences in life. It's about the, the words on these pages in the big book, from the, from the title page to page 103. You know, that is what I did. It's about the actions that I took and waking up every morning and the willingness to, you know, be open, be present, be seen, be honest. You know, but I couldn't do any of that unless I was abstinent, because I couldn't be honest if I was in the foods. So I had to put the foods down. I had to get abstinent. I had to stop purging. I had to stop restricting in order to go through this process. Um, and, I, and I'm so grateful 
my sponsor was willing to jump in the hole with me and to be patient with me and to, and to share this process with me as it is in the big book. Um, and so, you know, today, you know, I, I try to follow, you know, the, the big book in the process and recovery. My roots, my roots have gone from the potting plant and I've been planted into the world of life. And there's new soil that I'm grasping onto. You know, I, I seek God's direction. I seek right action in, in, in today. And so I feed, I feed my uh, roots with the new soil, with the nutrients I put into that soil, the water, the, the, the big book, the message from the big book. And, and I continue to show up and be willing and be open. You know, I'm a lifelong learner. I have a lot to learn. I'm not perfect. I'm definitely not perfect. And that's what that 10 step, you know, that's what my program is for. It gives me a tools to work, you know, to cope and to deal and to live life on life's terms today, you know. And, and the little bit I do know, you know, I try to share it. I don't have all the answers. And I love when I hear on the line that, you know, I'm just a pipe, just the message. Um, that I can pass on to other people um, in, in, in my recovery, my experience, strength, and hope. The hope is, you know, my hope is that, you know, that I can be of maximum service every day. You know, I share that I am a social worker by trade, and I work odd hours at night, and every day for me is a different day. I have no idea what I'm going to walk in on every day. And now I have a program, you know, I can use to, to work on relationships in my life, to work on my relationship with my son. It's, it's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And so I'm just really grateful that, you know, we have this program. I'm grateful to Bill and to Evie and to, you know, all the early folks who continue to work, you know, their program and pass on the message. So it finally got to me. And uh, so, you know, I want to be of maximum service. I want to, um, to live life till its fullest, shenanigans and all, you know. And so far, you know, I have experienced many of those promises in all of the steps, the freedom, the joy, the peace, you know, the ability to be still and be patient and be comfortable in my own skin. And when I'm not, I look at what's going on and using the, in the steps. And so, you know, I'm very grateful for this opportunity, you know, and I, I really enjoy my life today. Um, I take it one day at a time. It's an easy process, but it's not, you know, it's a simple process, but it's not always easy. Sponsoring is a must. You know, and I, and I, and I, you know, it, it keeps me in the big book. It keeps me um, uh, knowing that, you know, I am a recovery compulsive overeater, bulimic anorexic. I will never forget that. It will always be a part of me. It's, you know, it's part of me. Um, it's my disease, but it doesn't control who I am today. It doesn't define who I am today. The actions that I take today is, is who I am today. And so, 
um, you know, thanks for letting me uh, share this and, and be a part of, of this process. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Terry, for sharing your spiritual journey, your transformation as a result of these steps with all of us today. Thank you so much for giving testimony as to the power of the process, the power of having access to your higher power. Quite a message of hope and possibility. The share ID for this morning is 10974. That's 10,974. Terry's contact information will be offered at the conclusion of this recording, so you'll want to stay tuned for that. And now we'll transition to question answers. You can ask a question of our speaker by pressing star 1 to unmute. Please announce yourself, including the first letter of your last name. Charles H. Mary Lee R. in Oregon. Charles H. Mary Lee R. Anyone else? Star one to unmute. Shannon S. Shannon. Shannon S. Yes. Yes. Okay. Got that. Okay. Let's start with Charles. Thank you to the three of you. Charles, go ahead. Thank you for very much for your amazing story of how you, how you utilize the big book to transfer your life. I, I listened quite intently, and it was very, very good. Um, my question to you this morning is, you stated twice that your sponsor took you from the title page to page 103, which um, that that's great. Um, so I got a two-part, two-prong question. Um what is your take on the, the other three chapters, eight, nine, well, the other four, 8, 9, 10, and 11? And, um, well, it's actually a three-prong question. What is your take on, on those four chapters? Um, and did you study those four chapters on your own? And the third piece is um, what, why did your sponsor take you to the first 164 pages of the text? Thank you. Um, okay. Um, so I have read um, most of the big book on um, on my own. Um, I've read mo- a lot of the stories in the back. Um, but the, um, my sponsor took me through those pages as the work, as the steps. I have read, you know, um, the chapter to the wives, the more... Uh, the family afterward, um, a vision for you, um, the to the employer. You know, I, I've, I've read the the big book as as a textbook, and I get a lot out of all of it. Um, yes, but th- this was the work that the, my sponsor had did with me um, as through the steps. Um, from the very beginning uh, up until, you know, step 12. You know, the, the big book continues to give explanations of how this program works and examples. And so it definitely is a text that I use and I, I continue to read. Um, 
all the time. If you, if you, if I could take a picture of it, it's falling apart right now. My big book and it's written all in. Um, I do go to face-to-face -face meetings, uh, big book, face-to-face -face vision for you style set up big book meetings. And we read all the way through um, to the end, uh, the vision for you through those meetings as well. And so I'm constantly in it all and it's all beneficial to me. But that was just the piece that, you know, I showed up every morning and worked with my sponsor um, and studied uh, that process with my sponsor. Thank you, Charles, for the question. Mary Lee R., your turn. Hi, morning. This is Mary Lee R. in Eugene, Oregon. Wow, thank you for giving me some more insight on um, the various aspects of our disease and the mental obsession, especially because I'm working with someone specifically in that area now. So could you give me what your daily plan looks like in your connection with what you choose to call your higher power? Thank you. Sure. Um, my daily plan, um, I, in Terry, we don't hear you. Oh, sorry about that. There we go. Um, <laughs> my, uh, at the end of every day, I end my day with um, uh, a reflection of my day, my 11-step my process. And um, I go through the day, you know, if, um, processing if there's anything I need to clean up, asking uh, God for assistance in helping me do that, and just reflecting on my day and in prayer, meditation, and connection with my higher power. In the mornings, I wake up um, pretty early, um, and I spend some time with, you know, my higher power connecting for the day. So I end my day and begin my day with my higher power. Um, I, you know, send my foods. I weigh and measure. I send my foods to my sponsor, um, and I, you know, connect with my sponsor regarding my 11th step. Um, throughout the day, if things come up, you know, I address them as soon as possible. Um, I have, I'm an after-hour social worker, so um, I have odd hours, <laughs> and, and um, I can be called out at any second. So, you know, I try to make myself available. I make calls to people. I make contact calls to people. I, you know, I do um, whatever I need to do throughout the day to keep me moving forward. Um, I follow my food plan. Um, I, I like to journal. It helps. I read the big book. Um, and I talk to other people in recovery. Um, so that that's pretty much what I do. Um, my higher power... Um, when I, as a result of working the steps, I did have a spirit, you know, I had a spiritual experience with my higher power. And, um, you know, I am on definitely different footing, 
you know, I, I seek guidance. I am in conscious contact with my higher power throughout the day. We are talking. We are chatting. You know, um, I am I'm seeking guidance, right direction. It, it is the, the big, huge change and transformation for me that has taken place um, from being, prior to working the steps to now is that connect conscious contact with my higher power. And, um, you know, it, it's been awesome. It's been awesome. And um, I, I'm really grateful for that. Um, you know, I grew up Catholic. I had that understanding. I, I was a missionary for a short term. I, I sought, you know, I sought out different religions, educating myself seeking, you know, that spiritual connection with my higher power. To, you know, and then I even went, you know, sought out nature and the sky and scars and the beauty and planet Earth, Gaia, planet Earth, you know. I went many directions seeking that spiritual contact. Um, right now, it's, you know, it's, I'm just open. I know there's a higher power. I know it's not me. I'm open to um, the goodness of religion that comes out of of, of religion and, and the, some of the practices, I'm open to that, and it it just continues to grow and evolve for me each and every day. So thanks, thanks for your question. Hopefully, I answered it. Thank you, yes, ma'am. Thank you, Mary Lee R. Shannon S. Your turn. Star one, not mute. Thank you, Leah. Thank you, Carrie, so much for your your beautiful share, uh, Shannon S. in New York. Um, my question is, when working with sponsees who um, are just coming out of um, a big restriction cycle and um, are anorexic, how do you approach the doctor's opinion? How do you approach their step work um, when you first start working with them? And does that vary? from how you, um, the angle that you take with somebody who is um, just coming from a compulsive overeating background and, and from binging? Um, to be honest, I haven't really worked um, with um, anorexic restricting uh, people um, so much. You know, I don't think I don't think I would do any. I don't think I do anything differently because the work is in the book. Um, I would recommend that you know I recommend that they have an abstinent food plan. And you know, I am no expert on food plans. I'm a compulsive overeater, uh, bulimic, anorexic. So you know, I would suggest a, a nutritionist or you know someone that they can work with. On, on a food, a healthy, abstinent food plan, and and that they commit to that food plan as we're working through, you know, abstinent food plan as we're working through this, through the through the big book process. You know, um, to me, it, it doesn't matter what manifestation your disease um, morphs into. Um, you know, it's the doctor's opinion tells us, you know, we have an allergy uh, of certain foods and um, mental obsession. 
an obsession of the mind. And so, you know, I wouldn't do anything differently. I, I'm, I don't have the knowledge or the, the authority to change anything in this book. This book and what it says in this book has worked for thousands and hundreds and thousands and thousands, you know, people. And um, I would just continue to um, follow uh, the program and the steps and how it's laid out in the, in the, in the big book. Thank you, Shannon S., for the question. Who else has a question this morning for our speaker, Terry H.? Cynthia C. Cynthia. Leia S. Leia S. Anyone else? Jane J. Jane J. I didn't catch the last name. I'm sorry. Okay. Holly S. from Texas. Holly S. Excellent. We'll go with that group for now, starting with Cynthia C. Thank you. Thank you very much, Leah, for your service. Terry, thank you so much for sharing today. I got a lot out of what you said and related to a lot. I am wondering if you could talk a little bit more about how you do your 10th step. Do you use specific forms? Um, how do you, if, if you could just talk about that a little bit more in depth, I'd be grateful. Thank you very much. Okay. Um, my 10th steps. Um, I do have the app on my, my t- spiritual toolkit on my phone. And so when things come up for me and I have an opportunity, and 10 steps for me, if it has taken up a lot of space in my brain and it is uh, causing me to um, be distracted, um, then I need to address it. And so sometimes I use the 10-step the app and, um, to do that, and, and sometimes I make phone calls. And, and process a 10-step. You know, before I talk to another human being, I'm processing it with myself and my higher power. And, you know, and then it's just sharing it with another human being. And then I try to, you know, do service. Um, contact, you know, a newcomer or, you know, make a phone call to somebody that I need to make a phone call to and, and, and just put, um, just get out of myself and, and, and do some work and take some action. And, you know, it's, 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 it's a process. It's definitely a process. Um, um, but I do, I do it both ways. I make phone calls and then sometimes I use the app and, um, I'll, um, more than likely use the app and send it to my sponsor, um, as a 10th step and, uh, call other recovered, um, compulsive overeaters to process that. Um, it's a, as soon as possible, as soon as I can. Um, sometimes I have to wait until you know I get a free a free moment. But if it's bothering me, if it's a tenth step, if I have a resentment or a fear, um, or you know something's going on, 
then I'm not going to forget about it because it's just going to hang on until I do deal with it. And uh, I don't want, I don't want those blocks. I definitely don't want those blocks. Um, so yeah, and that, and that, that's how I do. That's what I do. Thanks. Thank you, Cynthia C. Leia S. Star one to unmute. Thank you very much. Thank you for your share. Um, my question is, when you have a newcomer and they have 10 steps constantly, is that how you deal with with the steps um, with them? By te- Is that how you teach them the 12 steps, by dealing with their 10 steps? Or... Um, do you conventionally go through the sequence of the 12 steps? Um, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm making my question clear. Um, I, I don't do 10 steps with newcomers. Um, you have to go through this process one step at a time. So until, you know, if I'm, I'm working with somebody and they're not, uh, if they're in step, still in step one, I'm not going to do 10 steps with them. You know, for me, when I was going through this process at the very beginning, um, I, you know, I tried to do everything I possibly could do to stay abstinent and continue working the process with my sponsor. I make suggestions. I, you know, one of the things I do, did was take walks. I would read. I would listen to every special edition I could possibly get my hands on or visions and podcasts. I'd go to OA meetings. Um, when things come up, when things came up, you know, I would talk to my sponsor about them. Um, I would make phone calls to other recovered compulsive overeaters and ask them questions. How did you deal with this? So for newcomers, I don't do 10 steps with newcomers. That's not where they are. Um, you know, we're, we're working through the big book at the beginning. Um, when, when they get to that piece, then, you know, I, when we get to 10 steps, you know, I encourage them to address everything. Everything that comes up that's irritating, um, you are fearful, you know, you need to address it and, and clear it out because that's what it tells us in the big book. So, uh, thank you. Thank you. So you mm-hmm. do go in the sequence. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Leah S. Jane J., your turn. Star one to unmute. Hi, can I be heard? This is Jane. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much for your share and for your honesty. I have uh, two questions. One is, when did you finally realize the mental obsession was lifted? How long did that take? And the second question is, would you mind sharing a little bit about your spiritual experience um, that you had said you had. Thank you. 
Yeah, good question. Um, mental obsession when it was lifted. Um, working through the steps. I couldn't, I can't pinpoint it. I can't tell you this day and this time I was no longer um, uh, mentally obsessing over uh, binging foods and, you know, my food behaviors. It was a process um, throughout working the steps. You know, it was definitely uh, as a result of having a spiritual experience. Um, you know, working the steps. I could tell you, you know, step five was a huge shift for me. Things began to definitely shift during that time. Um, I was, I think I was so busy, you know, taking actions and doing the things and working the steps, you know, um, through this process that, you know, um, probably toward the end, um, 10, 11, and 12, you know, um, I was focused on doing what I needed to do. And so I can't, you know, to be honest, I can't really tell you exactly, but I do know it was, you know, things started to shift for me for, in step five and then in, in step, in step nine and then step 10. And then, you know, today I can tell you today, you know, I, I follow my food plan. I don't obsess, you know, I follow a, a, a exercise plan. Um, I, I meet with my nutritionist, you know, and um, I just follow it. And, um, you know, when things come up, I want to work to clear it out. I don't want to eat. I know where that brought me. I don't want to uh, purge, and I don't want to restrict. And so... Um, Right now, those things don't come up. The spiritual experience I had, um, it was something just clicked for me that I knew and I wanted to continue to seek that conscious contact with my higher power. I knew, you know, something clicked for me that I had the understanding and knew that Nothing worked. Human powers, people, places, things, none of that worked. And, you know, having that connection, you know, with my um, higher power and that spiritual experience just kind of like opened me up. And um, it's, it's really hard to explain, to be honest. It just happened. It just happened when I started to seek God's way and seek God's um, direction and not Terry's direction or someone else's direction. You know, I knew that I was having, I had that conscious contact with my higher power and that was my spiritual um, experience at that time. It continues to happen for me. Um, there continues to be a connection. And sometimes it's closer connection than other times. And then, but I know what I need to do to get back into that um, conscious contact with him, with my higher power. Sorry, that was a little confusing. <laughs> Thank you, Jane J., for the question. Leslie W., Star one time you 
Good morning. This is Leslie W. from Tennessee. Um, thank you so much for um, what you shared this morning. I was just was just curious um, if you could uh, elaborate a little bit more um, on the amends process with your family. Thank you. Yes. So yeah, the amends process. You know, I definitely worked with my sponsor. Um, with my amends, you know, because I didn't want to go off and do some wild, crazy stuff. And so my my sponsor, you know, helped me uh, hold the reins, you know, hold my peace and um, gave me directions. Um, I, I, most of my family, I live afar from my family. And so, um, um, I wanted to make those amends as quickly as possible. Now, you know, I grew up, I had a lot of uh, childhood, adverse childhood experiences with family members. And so I had to look at my piece um, in that. Now, granted, I did nothing to cause any of those things to happen. Um, but I needed to look at my piece in that. And um, my men's with my, my, my father had passed away. Um, so I, I um, my men's with my mother um, was challenging for me. Um, my mother had left me when I was young, and I didn't build a relationship with her until I was in my 30s. And um, I didn't really know her. And um, so I had to put that aside. I didn't allow my mother to get to know me for a period of time. And so I had to clean up, you know, that piece and own my part in that relationship and make my amends to my mother on that. Um, making amends to my family was, was very challenging. Um, it was probably the hardest piece. My son was probably my hardest amends to make. Um, but, you know, it was about me and my part, not them and what they did to me. It was my reactions, my selfishness, my um, fear, you know, my, my resentment, you know, my character defects. And uh, so, you know, I met with each of my family members that I needed to make amends to and um, I just sat down with them and did it. Right now I have a better relationship with my family than I ever have had in my life um, because I was able to clean up my side of the street. Um, and I continue to make, you know, when I'm short with my mother or I, I'm sassy, you know, I, I make those men amends pretty quickly um, with that process. But um, I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful for the ability to have the relationship that I have with my family today. And I would not be able to if I didn't have this process in making those amends. It's not easy. It's not easy because they will say things back to you. And uh, you just sit there and take it. Um, so that, that was my experience, yeah. Thanks. Thank you, Leslie W. Holly S., yes. your turn. 
Good morning. May I be heard? We hear you. Good morning. Thank you for your service, Leah. Good morning, Terry. Thank you so much for, um, wow, I just identify so much. Um, I, I wasn't, I was a little, um, crazy this morning in my in my schedule and and uh, and got on and I'm so glad I was able to hear this morning my question for you is um, when you were when you were at your fourth step and because you had gone through a lot of counseling and um, maybe uh, I I got the idea that you were just kind of had some some good self-awareness did you struggle in 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 going through the big book way of, you know, identifying those, um, you know, where was I, where was I dishonest? Um, or, you know, that, that fourth column that, that we look at selfishness, dishonesty, self-seeking and fears. And, uh, and with that, that's, that's just my question. And thank you so much. Um, yeah, sure. Great question. Yeah, I did. Um, at that point, because, I, it was hard for me to see my character defects. Um, you know, I, I didn't want to see myself as being a selfish, dishonest person, you know, um, judgmental. Um, and I did ask, you know, I, I, I remember multiple times texting my sponsor or asking my sponsor, what does this mean? How, you know, how, what does this mean? What does this mean? So that column was probably uh, the most challenging part of it, um, that fourth step. But I knew I needed to, you know, get it down and, and see, you know, my uh, character defects, my part in all of these uh, relationships, all, you know, the fears and the sex behavior. And, um, you know, I would ask questions. I would ask my sponsor questions to get clarification. And, and, but um, I was just really grateful that I used this format. You know, the big, my sponsor took me through this, this process the way, I mean, my columns look like the columns on page 65. And, um, you know, but yes, I, that last column was challenging. Um, I had done, you know, a lot of therapy. Um, I had resentments, you know. I had fears um, that I knew about. Um, And I tried to keep it as fresh as possible. Um, And, um, you know, things that bother, you know, still bothered me today. And I tried to keep it fresh and just kind of go through it as, as best I could. Uh, with the information that I had. Um, but yes, it was challenging. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Holly S. We have time for a few more. Anyone else with questions on their mind? Star one to unmute. Someone identified themselves. I didn't catch that. Suji. Kim Bartlett. Suji. And who was the other? Terry B. Terry B., I got you, but there was someone prior to Perry. Kim B., I believe. Okay, let's start with Suji. Question, please. 
I'm sorry, did you call Kim? Hi, I this did. I did. Kim, hold on. I believe there's Sue G. Oh, okay. Yes, um, Sue G from Michigan Recovered. Um, Jerry, thank you so much um, for your story, for your honesty and your openness. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, you've you've dealt with bulimia and anorexia. Um, just wondering if before you had your spiritual experience, if you dealt with, or if you had a sponsee that dealt with um, not binging or purging, but just overeating on some foods um, before they had their spiritual experience and how you would direct them. Thank you. Um, if I'm working with a sponsee and, you know, they identify as, as bulimic, purging and restricting, you know, I, I would still go through the same process um, with them um, as I would any other person. Um, you know, I would work with them regarding a food plan, a healthy, abstinent food plan. Um, you know, my experience in, in purging and, and talking with other people who purge, there are those go-to foods. <laughs> that you can purge very easily and those foods that, um, you know, you go to. They're your go-to foods. And so, you know, explore that with them. Um, the abstinence has to be around, you know, compulsive eating, whether it's those go-to foods or, you know, purging and restricting, all of it. And, um, you know, I would definitely... Uh, you know, work with them and have them work with the nutritionist and be abstinent and then work the, the steps through the big book. It wouldn't, the process, the recovery process would not change um, if, if you're working with me because this is what it, this is the, you know, the recovery process. It's, it's right here in the big book. So that piece would not be any different. Um, that's what I know. That's what helped me to get recovered. And, and that, that's what got me recovered in, in working that process. So, yeah. Thank you, Suji, for the question. Kim B., your turn. Star one to unmute. Yes, thank you. I'm Kim B. Uh, from Wisconsin. And my question um, is... Do you feel comfortable? You mentioned that you don't feel comfortable in your own skin. Um, do you feel comfortable now in your own skin, Terry? And how do you achieve that on a daily basis? I've been in recovery for over nine years, and I still struggle with that. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, there are things that still make me feel uncomfortable. Um, but for the most part, you know, I do feel comfortable in my own skin today. Um Thanks to this process, you know, my, my goal is, you know, to be of maximum service, but I also want to be my true authentic self. And then when I'm practicing that, you know, and being my true authentic self, um, I'm, I'm comfortable in my skin. You know, I show up. I don't run away. Um, I participate. I'm open. You know, um, I can hear 
people give me feedback today, and I don't run away from it. Um, so, you know, because of this program, I, I do feel comfortable in my skin today. You know, I get nervous. I get anxious. You know, um, I'm human. You know, I, I'm not perfect. Um, but, you know, the, the freedoms, the peace that I um, enjoy today is so worth it. It's so worth it. And yeah, there are times I feel uncomfortable. I was very, very nervous <laughs> prior to uh, uh, the special edition this morning, you know. And But, you know, I know that I'm on the right path. And I know, you know, what I, I'm doing is... Um, um, making me a better, you know, helping me to be a better person and uh, showing up and participating. So, yeah, I am more comfortable. But there are times that I get antsy, I get squirrely, and I work my program. You know, I, I, I talk to people, I reach out, and I try to identify what's going on there. And that's the beauty of this, this program. So thanks. Thanks for the question. Thank you, Kim B. And our final question for today comes from Perry B. Perry B. Good morning. It's Perry B. from Florida Compulsive Reader. Um, thank you uh, so much for um, qualifying. And I definitely can relate to everything that you say. And I know that I'm, you know, one of us, and, and I'm not alone, which is why I come on these meetings, and Sunday meetings are just so special to me. I used to, you know, hem and haw, I'm not going to listen to the full hour, hour and a half, or whatever it is. I'll just do the 8 o'clock meetings. But my question is, how can I be more willing, I know you say prayer and meditation, to want to weigh and measure my foods and not eyeball it? Because sometimes I even undereat rather than overeat or skip a meal and thinking that I could make it up at the next one. So I find that is an issue. And also, how do you stop maintaining at a certain weight? Like I've been at this weight before where I've maintained it for two years. How do I get that to not be an issue and let it go? And I know let it God be, you know, let it, let it be, let it God, let it go. That's been my motto, and never give up. So I, I have a lot of recovery, but I don't feel like I'm always able to stay abstinent. And if I, I slip up, I'll go right back on it the next day, or the next meal, I mean the next meal right away, and not turn it into a binge. But I know that I'm hiding some food in my room, which is very strange because I've never really done that very much. But it's 100% chocolate bar, <laughs> has no sugar. And I'll just take a corner every now and then. I mean, is that okay, or is that considered a really weird behavior? Um, I also have. You know, thank you, of- Perry. I I believe your okay, question you. has been posed. Thank you so much. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for the question. Um, so, you know, for me, I I have to weigh and measure. Um, I have. I can't eyeball anything. I will tend to under eyeball food. And so I work with a nutritionist. A nutritionist, um, I had to educate my nutritionist about my eating disorder. And so I get a food plan. 
Um, I and I have to stick to the food plan. Um, I have to weigh a measure. I do because I cannot make choices around what's good for me and what's not good for me and how much I need and how much I don't need um, uh, for me because I do triathlons, I work out, and so I need that balance. And because of my disease, I, have, I, I can't be the decision maker. Um, so that's for me. Um, you know, I think for people, you have to be able, you, you need to be able to identify your binge foods um, um, and stick and commit to a, a plan, the willingness. You know, I was at, I was at all, I had run out of ideas. I had no idea how to do it. I couldn't uh, do it on my own. Um, so I had to trust a nutritionist. And, and, you know, I was hopeless. I wasn't helpless, but I was hopeless and powerless, and I couldn't do it. And so, you know, I had to take the choice. The choice was taken away from me and my disease, and I had to rely on someone else, a professional expert in the field, to know what I need for my, my nutritional health. And that, that, that wasn't easy. Because I thought I knew everything. I'm, I'm pretty smart. I can read. But I had to turn it over. Um, the willingness, I've exhausted every option, and I didn't want to die. And so that's where my willingness came from. Um, it just has to come from within. I can't give it to you. No one else can. Um, and I can't give you abstinence. No one else can. It just has to come from, you know, deep within, and um, whenever you exhaust every option um, or every idea, then, you know, it, it, it probably would be that time where you would be more willing uh, to try something different that somebody else suggests, and that's where I was. So thanks. Thanks for that question. Yes, thank you, Perry B. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you, Perry. Thank you to everyone who asked questions this morning. And, of course, thank you, Terry H., for sharing your inspiring story with all of us. Another remarkable story of transformation as a result of this work. Thank you very much. We're going to close from page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. <laughs>